0: You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And This podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Greetings, everyone, and thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the podcast, and I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. Glad that you're here, and I hope that you enjoy it. And for those who are regular listeners, you guys rock, you're amazing, and I appreciate the support so very much. A huge shout out to my incredible sponsors, INLPCenter.org, offering world class online neuro linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLPCenter through their incredible training and certification programs and to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please do consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. That would be awesome. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Andrea Schneider. Andrea is a licensed clinical social worker practicing out of San Dimas, California. In her practice, she works with individuals and families in areas including narcissistic abuse recovery, grief and loss, trauma recovery, complex PTSD, relational trauma, depression, and anxiety. And she's also trained in EMDR. In addition, she is also a fellow podcaster with her show, The Savvy Shrink, which can be found on the same network that you can find beyond your past, the Mental Health News Radio Network. So on the podcast today, Andrea and I are primarily discussing men's mental health, the Me Too movement, and working through the shame of speaking up about mental health challenges and struggles. It's a very in-depth podcast as Andrea and I talk more about not only men's mental health, but the state of mental health in general, regardless of gender. So I'm so glad that you're here, and there's a lot more that I could tell you, but rather than me telling you what it's about, why don't we just jump right into the conversation with Andrea Schneider right now. So hey, Andrea, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: You are someone who also has a podcast on the Mental Health News Radio Network, so we have a mutual friend at the network there in Kristen. So you have an incredible podcast called The Savvy Shrink, which I will link in the show notes along with your website and all the other information that you share. So why don't we start and you can share a little bit about who you are, what your specialties are, your podcast, pretty much anything you want to let everybody know about
1: you. Well, thank you so much for the lovely introduction. And I'm very honored to be with you today in this conversation on your podcast. And I know that you do a lot of fantastic work for um, individuals that are, are dealing with different mental health concerns, and you do fabulous work. So it's an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast. And um, as well, I'll look forward to sharing our conversation on my social media. And um, yes, we've been connected through the MHNR Network podcast uh, group, and I just think it's a wonderful. Collection of podcasts, so it's exciting work that we're all doing out there. As for me, in my little corner of the world, I'm in California in a really kind of suburban community of Los Angeles. Um, It's uh, there's a little town called San Dimas, but it happens to be on the edge of a huge metropolis. And Los Angeles being so dense with people, I see a lot of individuals needing support with various mental health needs, and I provide in-person psychotherapy as well as telephonic psychotherapy, and um, in some circumstances life coaching as well, where it's appropriate. And the the bulk of my practice is really uh, working with trauma survivors, and uh, trauma being such a broad category, I have a couple different populations that I focus on. Right now, a lot of the clients I'm working with are really struggling in the aftermath of toxic relationships, whether it be in love, work, or family, and they've had some relational trauma. And so, those clients are men and women. Um, I do a lot of EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and other trauma-informed and strength focused modalities. Um, the other population that I started working with actually Was women's reproductive mental health as relates to infertility, perinatal depression, anxiety, perinatal loss, traumatic birth, et cetera? So I work with a subset of clients as well who have had a traumatic instance in their reproductive years. And that also includes men who have, um, you know, borne witness to their partner's traumatic birth, or maybe they are struggling with infertility as well. So you know, if there's a lot of intersection of trauma, actually, in both of those specialties, even though it may seem like they're very different. But the common thread for me is, you know, I want to learn more um, from you (laughs) um, about men's mental health. And um, I work with a lot of men who are dealing with a lot of stigma about coming in for therapy. And so, a lot of the work that I do is, is just normalizing and validating that it's a safe space to come in and get support. But I feel like um, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done to encourage men to come in and get the support because so often um, you know, men are taught to suck it up and just deal and keep moving forward. So you know, I'm just really honored to be here today to hear also your expertise about how you approach that as well. So thank you for having me
0: here. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, yeah. And I'll be sure and put your website with all the information that you had shared um, along with your podcast, as I mentioned in the show notes, so everybody can check it out. Um, so yeah, we can talk about men's mental health. I think that's a obviously um, a great topic, a topic that uh, can use more discussion. There's a million and one uh, ways we could kind of go about it. I'm suddenly getting the feeling that I'm going to be interviewed on my own podcast, right? <laughs> so, oh my God. I'm thinking, God. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, wait a minute now. She wants me to share what I know. And I'm like, I thought I was asking we the question. <laughs> we can share it's
1: together. You can share together. it's fine. All right. um,
0: yeah. So, see, so you mentioned that, you know, um, a certain part of your clientele are men and I do um, another kind of show within the show on, on my podcast called the mental health mega cast, which is, Myself, and two other guys—one who lives out in the Phoenix area, and the one who's over in uh-huh. the UK—and we talk about mental health struggles and challenges from a guy's point of view, but not only from a guy's point of view, but just in general. Right. And we talk a lot about some of the ways that men have problems reaching out for help or opening up with mm. with a helping professional. Um, you know, opening up around their friends because we always have one of the biggest things that we talk about oftentimes on those shows and just. Uh, Something that I know guys deal with in general is whether or not you are some type of self-perceived, quote unquote, tough guy, it doesn't matter because the whole guy persona and kind of still follows you regardless of how you label yourself or anything else. Because as a guy, you oftentimes are afraid to open up to your friends you know again, regardless yeah. of what of what circles you keep because of the shame factor because you're a guy mm-hmm. and and you're somehow supposed to be able to have dealt with this or push it aside or be stronger or you know take care of it on your own or you know stopped mm-hmm. it in the first place, so there's shame around that too, so I think yeah. a lot of it is really it's the proverbial man card type of thing mm-hmm. um that really kind of is a big uh, all encompassing subject because there's so many different parts of it but One of the biggest things that I know I struggled with initially and and, and still do at times because, hey, I'm human, right? Is just, I'm pretty comfortable in opening up to the coach that I work with. And before when I was working with a therapist, I mean, it was hard at first, but Mm -hmm. I I still find it difficult to talk about it with friends who aren't quote unquote in my, or in the know or in my circles or people who follow my blog or my coaching or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. so I, maybe you can share about this too. I don't know, with your experience, with your clients yeah. or just there, there is a safety that can develop with your helping professional, which is great over time, but there's still yeah. the problem of talking about it with your friends. You know, we think that we have mm-hmm. to all sit around a grill, drinking beer and grunting and, you know, carrying on like a bunch <laughs> of ganshees rather than kind of being in touch with our feelings. Right. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I think, um, your, your feelings really, uh, resonate and echo with a lot of the the, the male individuals I work with too and, and that has been reported. You know, it's I think having a, a safe therapeutic connection with a helping professional is, is so vital because it helps normalize the person's experience and um, you know it it may be helpful for a guy to to work with a male therapist or life coach or if they have Maybe had a a difficult relationship with with a mother or another female um, individual having a healing corrective therapeutic professional connection with a helping professional could also be beneficial too but I think um, you know definitely I see a lot of the stigma in it um, in my practice and trying to break down those barriers to create a safe emotional environment to um, you know, introduce emotional language um, to both men and women. But I have found, and I don't know if this is the case for you in your your practice, but it almost feels at times that um, some some men, in particular, need the opportunity to really build the emotional uh, language in order to do some of the trauma work. Because maybe that wasn't a part of how they were raised or how society said they should be thinking about things as should, would, could, all that shaming language, you know. So um, I find that I do a lot of psychoeducation initially and also a lot of normalizing and validating um, and just, uh, you know, echoing the fact that we're all human beings. It doesn't matter what gender we are, what ethnicity, culture, religion, whatever. We all have emotions and feelings, and we all need and deserve a safe space to be able to process that which has been hurtful to be able to transcend the pain and move forward into a place of thriving. Um, But, I mean, kind of volleying the ball back in your court, have you found that a lot of guys that you work with have a struggle with emotional language? Or do you find that in general, the guys that you work with already have that built in?
0: Well, it's interesting because many of the clients i work with are not guys. And okay. when I and, and I mean, I mean, now, obviously, I do work with some, but one of the things that something that I struggled with, too, is for those of us men who are trauma survivors, you know, um, childhood mm-hmm. trauma, just a childhood sexual abuser, something along those lines. and And not only if your abuser was a guy, but I mean, certainly that plays a part in it. I mm-hmm. like when I first started to seek out help on my own. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want any parts of having a guy therapist. Like I could not oh, deal yeah. with, um, mm-hmm. I, there was something about being, I mean, I was ready to go seek somebody out. Like I knew I had to do something. I was ready. I was like, okay, enough is enough. Something's mm-hmm. going on here. I've been pushing it aside for too long. I, I don't know what's going on. And, um, you know, for those who are regular listeners, you know, some of my stories that when I first started seeking out uh, the help of a therapist, it was because my second marriage had ended in divorce. So I was trying mm-hmm. to pick up the pieces of my life and it wasn't for trauma. It was just, okay, I was married twice, divorced twice. I had three wonderful kids who are amazing, mm-hmm. but here I am again alone. So something has to be wrong with me, right? Like I mm-hmm. have to be broken. Something's going on here. What is it? So I initially sought out the help of a therapist to try and quote unquote, fix myself or figure out what yeah. was going on. And then over time, working through the relationship things and you know all, all that was involved with that, and morphed into the trauma type of work, mm-hmm. but regardless, mm-hmm. even when I first sought out the help of a therapist, I didn't want anything to do with having a male therapist like i I didn't feel safe around them at the time. I don't think I really I mean, knew that's... why, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. know when I called and made the appointment i I was specific in the fact that you know I need to speak with a female therapist or. Counselor, or you know, whatever they they were going to work with me on, and they obliged me, and everything you know ended up turning out great. But I know for a lot of guys, there is this, you know, there is uh, similar types of fear and apprehension of working with a male therapist, uh, and and you know, for other guys, there is fear and apprehension for working with a female therapist or a counselor. Right. You know, for I for right. any number of reasons, not just for trauma right. survivors, although that's kind of camp right. that I come from, but. Do you find that your clients perhaps had struggles initially opening up to you for any particular reason, like along those lines? Or right, I always like right. to get the input of other colleagues who who are in the field. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're seeing some of the same things that I have seen working with people that I talk Definitely.
1: to Yeah. I echo what you're saying. I definitely agree. I think um, a lot has to depend on where the person is coming from. So like you say, for example, if a um, perpetrator was one, um, you know, gender or um, age or looked a certain way or what have you, then that could be an incredible trigger for a survivor and they wouldn't necessarily want to work with that person but somebody that is completely disassociated with um, the trauma, so they could do the work. Um, in, in other circumstances, uh, for example, a client comes in and maybe they had a difficult relationship with somebody and they want to work through that, the loss of that traumatic relationship, but the therapist is the same gender as their partner. But it maybe has a different personality, hopefully. <laughs> um, and so, you know, their style is is strength focused. It's uh, trauma informed. It helps the client to move through that safe holding environment that's so essential to walk through trauma. Then, in those circumstances, having a therapist um, that's nurturing, uh, it probably doesn't dep- it doesn't matter what the gender is. But I think it's a case by case basis, and it if a person feels strongly about a specific gender therapist and they need to go with what's right for them. And um, I think any person who's a helping professional is going to respect, that's a, you know, like competent and ethical helping professional is going to respect where the client is coming from and want to help them with that. So if if they need to work with a female therapist, then that's fine, go with it. If, they need to work with a male therapist. That's fine. Um, I think what I've also found too, uh, being a Caucasian female, um, aside from from gender, but is culture and really embracing cultural diversity and having some sense of cultural humility for where the client is coming from, regardless of gender, religious background, ethnicity, um, you name it. Um, to have that conversation, to be able to bridge the gap with the client so they do feel safe and not judged and supported. So I think having that dialogue at the very beginning is really important. And, um, you know, regardless of of where the client comes from, but especially if the therapist and the client's backgrounds are overtly very different, then definitely having that dialogue ahead of time and addressing any concerns or fears the client may have about um, judgment, racism, bias, homophobia, you know, uh, cultural or religious biases, etc. Some people feel very scared to open up if they um, feel very different than how their therapists or helping professionals presenting, and they want to be sure that they won't be judged and can be 100% accepted. So I think that's a real key piece is establishing the safety from the get-go. Have you found that to be the case too?
0: Yeah. And I mean, for me, it took quite a while to open up to the the, the therapist that I worked with. I mean, I did feel, you know, like there was going to be a good working relationship there, but it still took time mm-hmm. to kind of come out of my shell. It took, I don't know, months to really, really kind of yeah. get going and, and, you know, gain some of traction. Course. So, you know, everything you mentioned about taking your time to find the right therapist, regardless of gender, be okay Mm -hmm. with, you know, talking to multiple different helping professionals until you find one that you, that, that, you know, has a style that you, you can work with a style that you can Mm -hmm. relate to that has a personality that perhaps might be beneficial based on either your personality or the circumstances that you want to work through. So I think it's always big um, to, Mm -hmm. to remind everybody of that is, you know, don't be afraid to you know keep looking if the first person you start to work with there there isn't you know that initial click or that initial feeling of hey, you know, I can I can open up to this person. So don't be okay. afraid to talk to multiple professionals. Um I guess would be the That's a good
1: point. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Exactly. Um, I mean now I mm-hmm. I fortunately I lucked out. I guess you could say lucked out and that the first one I, I talked with ended up being my therapist for um a couple of years and it was it was a great
1: awesome.
0: uh, Experience. but yeah but i know so many times people say that they they spend years trying to find a therapist and mm-hmm.
1: you know it can be
0: very frustrating i mean i'm i'm sure. fortunate that i didn't have to experience that but i know plenty of people that have and that can be very frustrating mm-hmm. and and almost make you just want to clam up even more right
1: yeah of course it it is definitely a situation where it's such a um, personal choice on behalf of the client, if it's a good fit one way or the other, and, and each helping professional has a different approach and a different style, different level of competence, etc. So, you know, it's one of those things where it is kind of a buyer beware type situation, and there is absolutely no shame. and. Considering working with different helping professionals that might offer something that feels more comfortable to the client. Uh, For example, a specific intervention they're looking for. One client might want to do EMDR. The next one maybe doesn't want to do that type of modality and is more interested in expressive arts or maybe they want to be uh, more future oriented and, and really focus more so on life coaching or something along those lines. So, I think it's very much an individual process, and the bottom line is, you know, empowering the client to obtain the best fit for their needs and to really work towards their goals to help the client to get to where they want to go, allowing the client to do the work, but creating that environment that is safe for the client to do the work. So I I definitely agree with what you're saying, and I think... uh, just like if you're shopping for a physician or a dentist you want to make sure it's a good fit just as important your mental health is not more so
0: absolutely i couldn't agree more and i just had something pop into my head in the last couple of minutes so obviously you know we all know that that times are changing in this country there is more mm-hmm. of an emphasis on mental health and you know erasing the stigma and seeking help when you need it and not being ashamed because you yeah. work with a therapist or a coach or you know you you know or whatever your helping professional is Um, Mm -hmm. have you found, um, you know, in, in your practice and just in general with the way the world is today that there are more guys opening up and i mean, and then I Mm kind of want to lead into the whole, um, me too thing as well. But before I get to that, have you found more of that? I mean, and I'll say just from my perspective, I have, and I haven't, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there are more, more and more guys who are, obviously okay with, you know, hey, I I see a therapist, I work with a coach. I'm not ashamed of yeah. it. I have things that I have to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. And that's right. great. That's awesome. Like that's just amazing. But there's still a lot yes. of old school mentalities, a lot of shame mm-hmm. because of how you were raised mm-hmm. or because sure. of the, you know, trauma hanging around for decades afterwards that for as much progress as there is being made and all of the emphasis put on social media and on television and everything right. now, there's still a lot of guys out there who I think still are ashamed or afraid or don't really know mm-hmm. how to reach out for help. Yeah,
1: exactly. I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's yes and no to the answers to that that question, for sure. Um, and I, I work in a really interesting part of the world in the sense that, you know, the geographical area that I'm in is greater Los Angeles where Hollywood is. It's, it's really like the hotbed of narcissism and, you know, that type of stuff. But the suburb I'm in is um, kind of tucked away. It's more of a sort of family oriented community. And yet um, a lot of the people that come in to see me uh, are impacted by toxic relationships. So the larger culture in LA tends to be more superficial, and, and it's not always that way in every part of Los Angeles, of course, but people are affected by um, that kind of vibe at times. Um, they might encounter, you know, narcissistic people in their work environment, or they might see something on the news that they're like, oh, this person is very toxic, and without getting into major political discourse, um, I, I really don't hide the fact of how I feel about our, our current um president, um, he he has a lot of massive narcissistic qualities that seem to be very, very triggering uh, for many of the folks that I work with and the people that are impacted by trauma. It, his um, behaviors that are reflected on television and social media are triggering for a lot of folks. So, But going back to our guys in particular, uh, reaching out for help more, more I think so since particularly more political stuff has been going on and it has been impacting so many people and triggering their trauma issues. Whether it may be they feel like there's a replication of some Orwellian 1984 type behavior going on in the Oval Office or um, whether they fear that they may be separated from their child because of immigration policies or things like that. So that touches both genders it touches all sorts of different cultures all sorts of different types of people and there's there's a melting pot where I live and work so I I am getting more calls and interest from men in particular who are triggered from outside events and the fact that um, narcissistic abuse recovery which is one of my practice specialties has become more of a hotbed or a hot button sort of topic of conversation because of a lot of the political that's going on that are reported and it's much more prominent online, I think also with social media and access to the internet, people are learning and researching more and more about how they want to heal from their experience. And um, I have seen a tremendous uptick in, uh, in guys reaching out for help. It's also in in the Los Angeles area, in, in the movies, it's portrayed as hip and cool to have a therapist. Um, but there's still a stigma. There's still a stigma to address the, the part where there's a reticence or a hesitation to come in to see a therapist. It's almost like a guy's tail is between his legs, so to speak, when he comes in, and it's just sort of a bit sheepish. Um, not everyone, but some, uh, because of how maybe they were raised. In terms of expressing emotion, or reaching out for help, or showing vulnerability, and that's sort of a generalization, but that's the case in some circumstances where maybe the emotional environment in the home was such that you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and suck it up, and um, you know we don't reveal our family secrets, or uh, you know men are supposed to be tough and cowboy-like, you know even old-school kind of gender stereotypes like that, I still see. And um, the area where I work tends to be a little more uh, conservative. So I see more of that stuff going on with really circumscribed gender roles. And, um, you know, so there isn't as much flexibility with a a lot of the male clients coming in in terms of their notion of what being a man should look like. There's a lot of shoulds. And, And I think going back to your... Um, one of your first sentences that you said about shame. I see a lot of shame in my office and particularly with men. Um, And I think part of it is just learning to embrace that emotional part of them that's um, their birthright as a human being and to be able to give themselves permission to heal and walk through those feelings and, and the trauma that they've experienced to be able to transcend the emotional pain.
0: And that was kind of a long-winded answer. I don't know if I answered your question. I love those long-winded answers. Those are great because it gives me lots <laughs> to uh, you know, think about and lots of ways to go. So it's all good. So interesting that you mentioned, well, and, you know, I talked about shame and then you mentioned it too. Uh-huh. I had a tremendous amount, something I still struggle with at times because, hey, you know, like I said, I'm always a work in progress. The shame factor of me being a guy and, you know, I should uh-huh. have told somebody, therefore I brought it on myself. I, you know, and you know, you know, even though I was five to ten when all this happened, as far as the abuse yeah, goes, right. I still think of it's, it. It can still be difficult to rationalize that, you know, while I'm an adult now, and you know, obviously that's not happening to me now. I, it, you have to remember that when we start to shame ourselves, we are oftentimes going back to, you know, thinking of of ourselves now as an adult and not as an as a child of what was happening then, right. and you know how powerless you were and how innocent you were and how easily influenced you were and all these things. So there's still a lot of shame that gets carried around, you know, for survivors Mm -hmm. of trauma, especially um, well into adulthood. And that can definitely be a cause of reaching out. Of course, too, you know, if you're an an adult male and something happens to you as being sexually abused or you're raped or something happens, then there's even more stigma because, wow, you know, you're an adult and now you should have been able to do this, that, and the other thing. So there's even Mm -hmm. more ways to kind of clam up and stay silent now. And I think um kind of segueing into a little bit of the more of the shame thing and the and the mm-hmm. the, the me too that you know obviously we know was all over the news and um sure. has been for i don't know about a year now or so there are a lot of guys that really kind of resent the me too thing because they feel like they are excluded even though they're not particularly being excluded intentionally the campaign is more um, you know, there are more females that that are coming out, obviously in regards to Hollywood now a lot and you know, the music sure. scene and, and acting and, and TV and stuff. There yeah. are a lot of guys that still and and may maybe resents not the right word, but maybe just feel left out or feel like mm-hmm. they have to say what about me too? Or, you know, yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. because, you know, because, you know, while there are some guys that, that are coming out, there's obviously a lot more females that are coming out and, and that can be mm-hmm. tough for a guy to wrap his head around because then if you do that, well, then, well, then you seem like a sexist and, you know, you know, you're right. against the women and it's just, it's this whole shaming sure. thing of, okay, well, I'm, I'm yeah. just going to be quiet now. Right.
1: Right. Right. It it makes it really tough. It's like a, a catch 22, so to speak. And, um, men are just as, um, deserving of support as women, whether it be in the the Me Too movement or other circumstances that have created trauma. And I agree with you. I think, um, you know, the Me Too movement can be seen as like a a feminist sort of movement, but, um, I guess I, I define feminism as looking at the genders as equal and protecting, uh, one's boundaries you know basically so um but i could see how a guy could feel excluded from that because like you said women tend to be the ones that are voicing their experiences survivors and the perpetrators in many cases have been men so um, you know it's also difficult for the awesome guys out there who are not perpetrators (laughs) because they are you know Looked at with suspicion as potentially um, somebody who might not have a woman's best interest in mind, etc. And you know, I think it goes back to really having conversations in elementary school with, with people about respect, about good boundaries, about healthy relationships, regardless of if you're a man or a woman or, or wherever you come from, having basic human decency and respect and what does that look like? Um, what is respecting your body, what is a safe touch, what is a not okay touch, you know, that type of thing. And then addressing also bullying. If somebody's being bullied, regardless of their gender, you know, that can become, you know, that individual can become a perpetrator if they don't have uh, some sort of intervention, whether they're a psychological abuser or some sort of other abuser. So Catching it early on, I think, is super important and having dialogues and interventions in the elementary school settings on all the way on up through high school. Um, And that's just one pillar of intervention. But I think addressing it from the standpoint that guys are human beings too, and that many guys have had their own experience of trauma, whether by a male or a female. Um, I do work with men who have been in relationships with um, female, I guess I could say personality disordered individuals um, who have been incredibly toxic and hurtful. So that feels stigmatizing to those particular male clients at times because maybe they were raised to um, believe that they shouldn't be feeling these feelings, that they should be able to transcend whatever is going on in this relationship that how could this person hurt them so badly and again in these circumstances it goes back to like a trauma bond it goes back to psychological abuse and things like that but um working with the shame piece I think is really big again that's what um I keep circling back to in this conversation is I think that's such a huge piece of the puzzle but it needs to be addressed in communities, in schools, and in general, instead of um, you know, keeping it quiet, because when we keep it quiet, then it becomes a bigger problem. But if we can call it for what it is, then you know, shame doesn't have a place in in the healing journey. So um, yeah, you know, what have you found to be the case uh, with, with your male you know, clients during this Me Too movement?
0: Um and and th- this is just my experience, so I'm certainly not speaking for everybody. But it seems to be more of a, am just going to stay silent type of thing rather than rather mm-hmm. than open up and voice my opinion because it can be construed a hundred different ways, and suddenly I'm the bad yeah. guy. You know, when I never did anything wrong, I'm the victim. Right. So 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 often guys will just you know, rather not say anything rather than get involved. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a shame factor there. There's fear. Uh, You mentioned bullying, huge, huge problem. I know when I was uh, in school, you know, back in the day when I was in school, there wasn't any bullying education. Like there was, I mean, Mm -hmm. we had, I think it was one semester of sex education, my senior year, Mm -hmm. but there was no mental health education, there there was an intro to psychology class, which wasn't mental health at all. It was just like learning about psychology a little bit, but there was no training. Um, you know, there was no awareness placed on, you know, seeking out help if, if there's problems at home or, you know, for those who grew up in my generation and obviously before, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of us, uh, back then who, who who didn't have the resources that are available now and even with the resources now obviously bullying is still a gigantic problem and now it's on the internet yeah. which is even worse yeah. I mean I can't exactly. imagine being a child right now I just I can't
1: oh my gosh it's so problematic it's uh, social media has opened up a can of worms I think for unfortunately not only cyber bullying but trolls uh, just all sorts of stuff that affects Young people's mental health, and there's been an uptick in suicides because of that too. It's just a really sad situation.
0: Yeah, I have three kids. Two of them are grown up. One of them mm-hmm. is 16 now, and okay. um, uh, you know, uh, two of them have experienced bullying during their mm. their their school years. My youngest, and then my middle uh, uh, son, and you know, to varying degrees, but. I I am glad that there is more of an emphasis being put on it, but clearly there's 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 such room for improvement because it seems like you know for all of the all of the attention that it gets in the media and everywhere now, mm-hmm. it seems to be just as bad if if not worse as it was before, and it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to um, you know, know, to figure out why that is, because there's so many, I mean, obviously there's, there's so many factors that go into a child being bullied, you know, the environment where they live, the type of school, the kids around. I mean, it's just, there's so many things and bullying is trauma. I mean, we all know that. And and it's with you. I mean, I spent, I was bullied from late elementary school, right through the end of middle school, And those were some of the like most traumatic times. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, as bad as the sexual abuse that happened when I was five and 10, I think mainly because I can remember more of it because I was older. Yeah. Especially Mm -hmm. if the abuse happened when you were younger, the bullying happens usually when you're in school and that, and that sticks with you because it's more in your mind. And and then of course, and then that carries over Mm -hmm. obviously into adulthood along with everything else.
1: Definitely. And it's such a, Precious time of identity formation, you know, as you're just entering adolescence. It's middle school. It's never really—I don't know anybody who loved middle school. <laughs> but you know, if you've got bullying, you're contending with, in addition to all of these changes going on with puberty and developing your identity. It's just—it truly is traumatic. And I'm, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. And you're an example of. Somebody who's been able to, you know, really work through it and make a life of meaning and purpose, um, making lemonade out of the lemon of life, basically. So, you know, you're an example of somebody who's been able to create uh, meaning and purpose, even in the face of adversity. And I think that's a great message to give survivors, that there there is hope to get through that time. But I can only imagine how isolating It must be for for those who are targeted um, and bullied. And if they don't feel like they have a safety net, um, how isolating that must be, especially for guys, um, you know, too, because even in this day and age, I don't hear a whole lot about guys talking about feelings. I have two sons, one's 17 and one's 12, and although their mother's a therapist and they do have good good emotional language, um, you know, they are... They don't tend to want to talk feelings um, with their friends um, and they'll talk feelings with me, but it's just not cool to go there and talk feelings with your friends and um, you know if there's a bully on the playground, then it it's tough because um, there's there's some psychological stuff that's going on with a bully that's very covert and it's hard to get that conversation out in the open unless. There is a wider safety net of support in place. so I can see how um, how debilitating that could be for for anybody in that very sensitive um, age and stage of developing. So the fact that you've been able to to get through that experience and live to tell the tale, but also to you know to give hope to other people, um, I think that's a great message, especially because I think bullying is unfortunately becoming at least more well-known with the advent of social media and the internet, at least we know more about it if there's more opportunities for that type of stuff to happen. So there's more opportunities for interventions too.
0: We have to hope and think and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, pray that as more people begin to speak out that, you know, this kind of stuff eventually diminishes over time. You know, yeah. I don't know yeah. whether it's ever going to, but I know that it's a good thing that we're talking Uh about it, that, that there is more awareness to it. There's, there's so many ways that we could go and continue this conversation, but I know I want to respect your time and we are almost um, out of time actually, as a matter of fact. I (laughs) I know, right? I know. I definitely, I mean, there's so many things that we can go into more about your practice and um, being survivors of narcissistic abuse. I, I think that would be a great topic to work through perhaps on a future show, but Um, this has been awesome, Andrea. I appreciate you coming on. Maybe we can wrap up and you can tell everybody where they can find you more about your podcast and uh, all that good stuff.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your, uh, on your podcast. And I feel like I learned a lot just, um, speaking with you and absolutely. I'd love to collaborate with you in the future and, and hear more about your wisdom as well. Um, in terms of, how you know helping professionals in the community in general can really support the mental health of men of all ages and you know young boys, uh, teenagers, etc. So you know I'd love to have an ongoing dialogue with you and I really appreciate uh, your efforts to fit me into your schedule uh, with my crazy busy schedule. In terms of um, how to contact me, if listeners are interested in learning more about my services. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California, and my website is my name, Andrea Schneider, L-C-S-W.com. Kind of a mouthful. Um, I also have a podcast, as you've mentioned, called The Savvy Shrink, and that lives on MHNRnetwork.com and can be accessed on several different platforms. Um, other things, other ways people can contact me, I do write a blog for Psych Central, also under the title, The Savvy Shrink. So if you Google The Savvy Shrink Psych Central, the, the blog post will come up. Um, and I've had some articles also published for goodtherapy.org and the Minds Journal. So those are other ways to to reach me. Um, I'm working on EMDR certification, so that is something that is part of my Offerings in my in-person psychotherapy practice, and I also do telephonic counseling for people who are out of my geographical area. But thanks again for having me. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom too. And people like you, um, walking the talk and and sharing your experience, and you know, showing how you made a life of meaning and purpose in the face of adversity, that really gives people so much hope. So. Um, I'm very appreciative of hearing your message and really curious to learn more about how you help men. And, you know, maybe that'll be a part two podcast coming up. That'll be fun.
0: That sounds like a plan. So thanks right. everybody for listening. It was an amazing podcast, Andrew. We will do it again soon. And for everyone, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with the message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session, where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.